Well, babe, we did it. We wrote a book. Yeah, man, it's it's actually surreal to even think about uh, that we wrote a book, had a baby, got married, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> <laughs> but the book is now available yeah. for pre-order, and we're so excited to share it with you. Oh, so looking forward to getting this book into your hands, to be in dialogue and conversation with all of you as we continue to liberate love from old imprints and codependent dynamics that keep us small, stuck, and stagnant. Yeah, you know, no matter your relationship status, this book walks you through what shaped you, why do you do what you do in relationship. It dives deep into your relationship blueprint, attachment styles, and most importantly, which is different than every other book that's ever covered codependency in the past, we explore the role of the nervous system in that. And the book is called Liberated Love. Yeah. Release your codependent patterns and create the love you desire. Go to createthelove.com slash liberated love to order your copy now. That's createthelove.com slash liberated love and get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mark Gross Podcast. This week I have my good friend, writer, speaker, coach, all the things, Sylvester McNutt III back on the podcast where we talk about self-love. Like, What does that even mean? It's such an abstract term. What does it mean to love yourself? How do you do it? And why does it matter? Like, What does it actually produce in our lives? So we wanted to get down to the roots of it and Sylvester just wrote a book on the subject. So I'm super excited for you to hear the chat we had and learn from him as I did. And before we hop into today's episode, please, wherever you listen to it, leave it a five-star review and a written review. That's one way you could support the podcast and also subscribe to it so you don't miss any episodes. So without further ado, here is my good friend, Sylvester McNutt third. Welcome, Mr. Sylvester McNutt the third. This is now your third time, I think, on the podcast too. Yeah. Three. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. Three times. You know, we've scoured many a subject together and I love talking about life and yeah. humanity and relationships and the conundrums of what it means to be a, a human. Um so I'm excited for this conversation. Yeah, and I think that's all things relational is having that space to explore, you know, the different topics, the thoughts, the facts, the feelings, and everything that comes with it. So I'm ready for it. Sweet. Well, you've got a new book that just came out called Loving Yourself Properly. And that's, I mean, that title is, is I'm curious about properly, right? And first, I, I think we should probably get into how do you define loving yourself and then what does it mean to do it properly? So this is a really important subject, of course, because uh, you know that really sets the baseline for all of our relationships. But it's one of those sort of, it feels like a bit of a flaccid term, you know, in a lot of ways. I've never called something flaccid, but <laughs> <there's> probably, <laughs> that probably makes us think about a lot of things. But it does feel like it's a term that has a lot of ambiguity and kind of like a wellness term. Like, you know, talk about ashwagandha and self-love. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, no hate for ashwagandha. But, yeah, please share. The term is big. It's a big conversation. And when we try to enter the conversation, where do we start? Every single person will have a different definition of what self-love is. Hmm. And so I was curious as a creator, as a, as a curious human being, is there an entry point where we could begin to define that? Not saying, hey, this book or us, this podcast will fill the void of the entire conversation. But what if we can just be one peg, you know, one rung on the ladder, one step? Mm. And so I was curious, where does that conversation begin? Because typically people will say things like, oh, yeah, take a bath. That's self-love. It's like, no, you should already be doing that anyways. <laughs> like taking a bath is not self-love. And so as I began to go on my journey over the last two years, at least for me in my life and what I was recognizing and listening and just observing in the world, 
I never really noticed it as full as I did over the last two to three years that we live in a shame based society. Everything is shamed. You're the guy who gets the six pack. They call you uh, meathead, <laughs> health obsessed, mm -hmm. uh, too conscious of your body. You're overweight. What do they call you? They call you fat. They call you whatever the terms is. I don't even want to say it, but this is what this is what we do. You have kids out of wedlock. Oh, well, yeah, you have. So however you split the story, what I notice is everything is shamed. Mm. Everything is shamed. And this starts this conditioning starts so early for us. And we all have different stories, but we can all look into our stories and see where the shaming is supported in family systems or in society. And so the very first thing that I want to do when I come into the book is ask the reader and hold space for the reader to investigate where shame may be in their story. Where is it coming from? Is it your relationship with money that you have shame there because of your parents saying things to you like, you don't know the value of money. Money doesn't go on trees. Don't ask for these type of things. We can't afford that type of lifestyle, right? Do you have shame about your body because there was someone that you dated and that was like, your nose sucks. Your your eyes aren't, whatever, yeah. you know? Yeah. So what I really want the reader to do is to investigate where the shame is in our life and to really fully acknowledge it. Because if I tell you, love yourself, treat yourself well, do these things to support your vitality and your wellness, and you have the block of shame there, it might prevent you from recognizing, okay, I need to, I need to do this to take care of me, or I need to do this to support me. And so instead of if we have a shaky foundation, instead of just building on top of a shaky foundation, my whole question is, how do we just destroy the foundation? And shame is the foundation that we want to destroy, that we want to acknowledge, that we want to integrate, that we want to make space for. Like, you know, me and you both know uh, Francis Weller. He said, when shame is present, excitement is not. Mm. So what is excitement? Excitement is happiness. It's joy. It's love. It's connection. It's relationship. So when shame is present, all of those things cannot be. You, I, I even say this in the book, I have never felt love and shame at the very same time, simultaneously at the same time. I've never have. I've only all felt one or the other, typically more love. But when I felt the shame, it's been strong and it's been powerful and it's been daunting. So one of the things I asked the reader in the very, very beginning of the book is if that's true for you, because it may not be true. Right. And I don't think we should take everything someone says. I think we should investigate everything. If it's true in your story that you have never felt shame and love at the same time, if that's true, then and our goal is to try to get as much love as possible. Right. I, I think that's a reasonable human goal. Then that means we do need to investigate shame and see where it is and make space for it so we can integrate it, not get rid of it, not bypass it. You asked at the beginning properly. So <clears throat> chapter, excuse me, maybe six or seven is about authentically processing your emotions because what happens with shame is what, what does it do? It makes you small. It makes you hide. It makes you cower. It makes you not show up as your full self. So when we engage relationships and we're a minor version of ourselves or we're a little version of ourselves, how can we have big expectations from little energy? Hmm. It, it just, it, it doesn't make sense. That's interesting. Yeah. How can we have big expectations from little from little energy. From little energy. So if I understand what you're saying correctly, it's that we need to investigate shame because shame in a lot of ways inhibits the expression of self because where shame lives, we obviously don't go, right? And so even if our authentic self-expression, and I'm sure that'll mean different things for different people, if it got shamed when we were young or even as a teenager adult in relationship, as you said, a concern about our nose, a concern about our body, whatever it might mean, that we can explore that so that we can give birth to where we are creating, where someone else has placed a limitation upon us and we've accepted that thought about us as being a thought about us, like that, their thought about us being a thought about us. Um, is that, is that, did I get that? Yeah, you got it. Hmm. I like that. I think the idea of shame and love not being able to coexist at the same time that resonates. I'm 
I, th- I think it would be impossible to access both. Of, I think that's what you're saying, right? Is that you can't access love when you're accessing shame because sh- shame blocks. When that. you are in love and not necessarily in love, like the way Hollywood uses the term, but when you are in the emotion of love, whether that's the love for your team, love for sparkling water that me and you both love, you know, yeah. love for hiking, love for I love engaging with my son. When you are fully present to the to the moment of love, to the feeling, you are not tuned in to shame. You are not, you cannot vibrational, from a vibrational standpoint, you cannot tune into it. But when you are fully tuned in to shame, right, the the minimization of yourself, you cannot access love. It's one or the other. Those are the, when we talk about wholeness, that's what I talk about in the book. The very very first line says, this is an invitation into your light and into your darkness. This is an invitation into wholeness. What I'm trying to get the reader to see is that self-love is always about wholeness and integrating the parts of you that are dark, that are scary, that are, quote unquote, weird. It's about fully accepting and bringing them together, because when you make an image, you have contrast, you have light and dark. Right. You have colors that are complementary colors. So I have, let's just say, pain from this story. I have love from that story. It shouldn't be a rejection of this story and only an acceptance of the love story. It's wholeness. It's accepting everything, bringing it all in so we can get the full image, so we can get the most vibrant image of life. And that plethora of colors that you're speaking to, you know, this idea that only the light side of it is the story we want to keep, which I think we're all socialized to do that anyway. So like how you said, no matter what your choice is, there's someone who will try to impart shame on you about that choice, no matter what it is. You stayed too long, you left too early. You didn't fight hard enough, you fought too hard. You know, there's there's so many there's so many other people's opinions about the choices we make. And I think the other aspect of that that's interesting is the idea that shame and love cannot coexist at the same time. Uh, however, if you are willing to explore shame with the energetic of love, then now you have a pathway, as you said, to wholeness, right? Like that's actually, if you can turn from the one place, which I would argue love is expansive, love broadens your vision. There's a, the um, researcher Barbara Fredrickson talks about the evolution of positive emotion and her theory is called the broaden and build theory. And the idea of it is that why evolutionarily did negative emotion exist? Of course, we studied that. You know, well, if a tiger's there, you run from the tiger. Narrow vision. You know, don't perfuse as much blood to your organs. You are putting it into sprint mode. And broaden and build theory is that what, the reason that positive emotion existed was this ability to be more connected. It broadens our vision. We see more opportunities. We are more likely to be open to social connections. And I think about that, if you can look at your whole story through that lens, even through the idea of broadening and building yourself. Because, of course, I think we look at those stories that are have quote-unquote shame, and we look at them through the lens of whoever imparted the idea that that story is something that needs to be rejected. How do we gently walk that path and turn towards it? Have you ever forgiven yourself? Yes. Yeah. Well, there's some people who never have. And we just start there with a simple self-forgiveness. Just, I'm sorry. And the apology doesn't need to be explained. It doesn't need to be about a particular moment or a thing. Just a simple, I'm sorry. And then an acceptance of the apology from self. Hmm. It's okay. That's all right. Right? And what we're doing there now is we are engaging the practice of forgiveness. When we don't forgive, we hold on. And when we hold on, Mm -hmm. everybody holds on to something different. But what are we holding on to? Some people are holding on to the cycle of an emotion that brings them down. Yeah. Some people are holding on to being a certain character and a certain story that's preventing them from actualizing themselves and and being their true, most authentic self. And so when you're agreeing to the attachment of, let's, you know, it doesn't have to be shame, but let's just say it's shame or the attachment of the story 
My question is, how do we get out? And we've always agreed to this. We've agreed to this. I'm the I'm the kid of alcoholic parents. Like I've I've agreed to that part of my story. Yeah. In in that role, right? But what if it's okay, man? What if it's just what if I just say, Sylvester, it's okay. It's all right. It's okay. Now that's not my story. That's not the story that I'm using. That's not that's not my language. Because one of the things that I say in the book is that language is one of the most powerful tools we have. And we need to use language to build. You know, there's a chapter called Create a Nurturing Inner Voice. When you hear a lot of people talk, they talk bad about themselves. They talk down on themselves. You hear people say all the time, especially artists, they say, I'm my own worst critic. And what I say in the book is, no, you're not. You are actually not your own worst critic because that's not your voice. Mm. Your natural voice is a voice of love and curiosity. I know this because I have a two-year-old son and I see his voice. He is not critical of himself. He is curious about his world and he wants as much love as possible for him. Love is food, hugs, and being chased by daddy and mommy, right? That's <laughs> love for him. You learn the critical voice from an unsupported father, a critical mother, a grandmother who you couldn't couldn't please. Well, that's, most grandmothers are pretty easy to please an uncle you couldn't please <laughs> a, a teacher coach. a coach a coach, yeah. a coach you know someone at someone at some point an ex-husband an ex ex-wife maybe maybe even your favorite celebrity who, whoever you learn being critical from the world around you and so when we're in our 20s and our 30s and we're saying i'm our own biggest critic no you are not you are not and so my question is, can you can you let that piece go? You don't to perform because that's what a lot of people want to do. They want to do well. They want to perform. You don't have to be critical of yourself. You don't have to beat yourself up. You don't have to put yourself down. You can still pinpoint, hey, I could I could do this better. I could be more effective here. But when we mm. do it that way, there's no there's no shame. There's no emotion with that. You like just it doesn't have to be correlated to your worth. It can just correct. it can just be feedback, just strategic feedback. For the majority of my adult life, I have been searching for a tasty protein powder. I've been searching for an amazing protein powder, one that doesn't just add protein to my shake, but like adds flavor and creaminess and deliciousness and all those things. And I'm happy to have found that in the Organifi Complete Protein. It's organic, it's vegan, it's also a multivitamin with digestive enzymes, so I kind of like that stack. 20 grams of protein, all in one delicious, easy to mix shake. It's got seven superfoods, it's 100% organic, no soy, no whey, and it helps curve cravings. It contains half of the daily recommended value of selenium, vitamin C, D, E, A, and 35% of your daily iron. And all of these vitamins are from whole foods. And so it's got pea protein, quinoa, pumpkin seed, coconut, which contains MCTs, vanilla bean for the vanilla flavor, five different digestive enzymes in every serving. It helps you digest your food, prevent the bloating and the gas, and absorb more of the nutrients that you eat throughout your day. So if you want to save 20% off both chocolate and vanilla, go to Organifi.com slash create the love and Organifi is spelt O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com. So go check it out. That's interesting because when I think about a pivot that I had relationally, curious your thoughts on this too, it was when I started to see my partner's feedback as actual feedback, not criticism. Don't get me wrong, the deliverer of feedback can structure their language properly so that it is constructive and expansive, and we can all learn how to do that. And I think I was certainly overtly sensitive to any feedback, no matter how it was structured. And because my self-worth was so deli delicately held in their words, um, and no matter where I learned that, it was learned. It was learned that my worth depended on what the external person, whoever it might be, I can specifically definitely think of a coach, but where it rested in their affirmation of me, their congratulations of me or not, and and then I would hustle for that, you know, and in a lot of ways, gets so defensive in relational stuff, especially romantic relationship, where I was severing connection during the feedback. Now I recognize, like with my partner Kylie, that her feedback is actually a super highway to my expansion, to me being 
the best human because the intention of her words are to facilitate that um, and to to make sure that I'm being called into my integrity and to who I am, to make mm-hmm, sure that I'm mm-hmm. living according to my values. And it's what I really hear in what you're saying is this like separating yourself from the language, the the voice, and starting this process of reclamation, of uh, realization, of integration, where all of a sudden it's like you're taking charge over your own worth rather than, gosh, being able to like de-thread <laughs> that shit is, it's been a project. I'd say I've been doing it for 10 years. I think it was when I finally got really intentional about it and knew that's what I was doing. Because before you're just kind of like, I feel bad when I'm around that person. You don't really know why and you think it's you if that's the programming you have. And then you start to learn boundaries and you start to learn values and you start to learn how to draw circles around those values. And you start to see like maybe it's actually not me. And I think that's an interesting thing that all humans at some point have to wake up to is this idea like maybe it's not me. Maybe I'm not broken. Maybe the system itself is broken. Maybe my feelings are actually an accurate barometer of the environment that I'm in. There's nothing wrong with me, but something wrong with the environment. And instead of there's something wrong with me, maybe there's something right with me. And I'm this incredibly wise. I always sort of joke around, but it's not a joke really, that (laughs) everyone's fucking Yoda. Like everyone is just so fucking brilliant and wise if we could approach our sticky points with curiosity, like you've used the word curiosity a lot. Um, and I'm I'm curious as to why does that word come up so much in the process and how do we, how do we enter a space of compassionate curiosity versus critical, you know, uh, assessment of our behaviors and our choices? You know what I mean? Our art. So there's this uh, <clears throat> there's this therapist back in the day, psychologist, excuse me, uh, William Glasser, and he came up with this uh, theory called choice theory. And one of the axioms of choice theory is that everything is only information. That's what he says in choice theory. And I remember being really called to this when I was um, studying at Northern Illinois University. Everything is only information. It's like so if. We're in a relational situation, whether it's work, friendship, intimate, and I'm giving you uh, feedback. The feedback is literally information that exists on many different realms. It can exist in the communication model. It can exist vibrationally, uh, how the words make me feel from an emotional standpoint. There's so many different layers that information can exist through. So our work as curious human beings is just to figure out through what medium are we judging the words that come to us? When, when you know, you say, Sylvester, you're not good at this, you're not good at that, you're, you're bad at this, that might be true. But that doesn't necessarily have to decrease my quote-unquote human worth. Mm-hmm. You know, my profession right now is I'm an author. So as an author, you may say, this line wasn't that good. You could actually do better. And that might be true. Mm-hmm. And so what I have to do as a human is is – Learn to demarcate myself from these different roles that you play in life, you know, especially the professional role, because that is where a lot of us seek validation through, especially men. I'm sure you can speak to this in your own journey. A lot of us seek validation through the professional role where once I make this amount of money or once I get this role or once I do this thing in my company and we have all these metrics that once we in our mind, once we hit that metric, then we can have the compassion. Then we made it. Then we did it. And it's like, well, what would happen if we just gave ourselves the compassion now? What would happen if we just saw these roles as only information? How would we feel? Would the hook feel not as strong? Well, at least in my experience, when I started to look at things as only information, everything got easier for me. My interpersonal relationships, my relationship to the things that I think make up my identity, because then you realize this is only information. It really doesn't matter. Oh, you could have wrote that line a lot better. Yeah, you're right. But does it matter? It doesn't. Interesting, because then what happens is, and I know Dr. Salman talks about this, like exploring our story from the space of an anthropologist, you know, so you're really like looking at at the soil or the whatever it might be, the the 
the layers of the soil, the the fossils, whatever it is. But and when we're looking at our story, we're doing the same thing. You know, being able to differentiate the personalization. That is a game changer. This ability to dissect even the things that we have shame about to be able to dissect them. You know, I remember having this uh, person who once said to me, like, I can't believe I did that. And I remember saying, well, how could you not? Like, based on everything you've been taught relationally, based on every, you know, it's kind of like when people choose someone who's unavailable or abusive or whatever it might be, just maybe poor relational choices. Maybe we're showing up real poor, you know, because it's often that too. And it's like, well, how could you not? Like, if you've never seen relationship done in a different way, how would you know there's a different way? Like, you have to go out and learn it. You got to buy books like the one you wrote. You got to listen to podcasts like this. So there's so many resources. We're certainly not the gateways to that. There are so many. I've had so many teachers teach me different aspects of that ability to say, how do I show up in a different way? And I think as you start to build those skills, and you accept like, hey, that line might not have been great. And you start to build your own self and you start to choose yourself, whatever that might mean for each person. And you pick up rituals and habits that are filling your cup rather than emptying it. That when someone says, hey, you did this or you're this way, you can actually take the information, which I love that you said that, and you can figure out whether it's true or not instead of it aligning to this narrative you know what i mean and the information might be true you Mm -hmm. might be bad at this or not good enough for this particular role or you may not know how to execute the thing and so one of the invitations i have in the book is that we are curious students of life so from a self-love perspective instead of saying i can't do this that means i'm a dummy (laughs) or i can't do this so i'm a failure what if we just change the language to at this moment i'm unable to do this Let me seek the teacher. Let me seek the help. Let me seek the experience and then learn from the experience. Let me do the experience and then ask an elder or a coach or a teacher, what did I do wrong? Can you recognize it? How could I execute this better? Right. Because you change the situation emotionally from I can't do this. I suck. That's a dead end. Right. So now it's like, okay, I can't do this and that's okay. What's next? You completely open the loop. Yeah, like instead of step one, I fucked up, done. It's like, actually, you're not starting over, you're continuing. Step two is informed by where step one went. You know, I think that is one of the, this was one of my challenges when I first, like the day I said I want to talk about relationships and write about them, (laughs) by the time I was born was a few years at least. And I remember listening to a coach once say that, we always want to know how it's going to turn out. We want to know step five, step nine. And, you know, it's like you don't get that. Like that's the thing is you get the call and the call is whatever. I need to work on this. I want to create this. I want to become this. And and there's like a yearning. It's almost like an interesting call because it's like a North Star. Like it's it's hard to put into words why it means so much. and And it's also hard to accept it when something painful started it. But I I think of John Morrow's line where he said, if you want to find what matters to you, find what breaks your heart. Mm, That's a good one. And it's so good because it's like that really is what led to me It's also like very depressive now that I hear it again in my head. (laughs) Yeah, right? It's so dark. (laughs) It is. And it's interesting because it's like the pathway to what you're passionate about Mm -hmm. is through what breaks your heart because Mm -hmm. you want to save probably yourself from it. And I always think like that's you become the teacher you needed. So you start to write books, you start to share, you start to. And I thought about that being like when you look at the differentiation between oversharing and vulnerability, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in oversharing, really, you're saying, I don't believe that I'm worthy of being loved. So I'm going to tell you all these things that I'm pretty sure validate that. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to break our boundary because you haven't even earned the right to hear my story yet. So I'm just going to tell you all this shit. And then you're going to reject me, which will validate my story. And I thought, like, what an interesting differentiation for vulnerability if vulnerability is actually sharing the wisdom you've learned from your story. Do you know what I mean? Like, you're actually speaking a story of triumph, not a story of the need for acceptance, which is totally different energetic. You know, like if someone on a date says that some about their ex, 
you know, is very different than, yeah, you know what? We broke up and this is what I learned from it. That's so different than, yeah, like a month later, they were in a fucking relationship. This fucker, he can't even sit between partners, blah, blah, blah. And and right away, like fucking bang red flags. That's a base camp at Everest, by the way, because you might be their ex one day. In the book, I say something along those lines uh, because someone asked the question, uh, how do you get over your ex? And, you know, it's a great question. How do you get it over is, your ex? Yeah. Well, first, I want to say is that that might not be the right target for you. That's one thing that I talk about. Uh, in the book is we have to make the right target. You know, yeah. if you're trying to get from Chicago to New York and your map is from Chicago to Miami, well, I hope you have a swimsuit because <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're going down south, you know. And so getting over them might not be the most appropriate target for you. At the moment, it might just be getting space from them. Right. You know, it might just be instead of getting over them, it might just be how do I invest in me right now? You know, it may not be the right target. And one of the things I say on that topic is, do you wish them well? Because a lot of people, when they talk about, you know, you brought up the ex. I I just love that conversation. It's like, well, my ex is this and they got married so fast. You know, the things you're mentioning. Why do you reserve so much energy for them? Right. Just wish them well. Why does it matter? Because you know what happens when you wish them well? You reclaim all that energy that you're putting out and all those emotions. You reclaim them back for yourself. That's self-love. Self-love is reclaiming your wholeness. So I wish you well. Mm. So all all the places you give it away, right? To like past pain, past hurts, past, and not channeled into transformation, but actually channeled into resentment and reliving them. That is, so the act of self-love is beginning to transform that. That's beautiful because that's really a story that's contributing to that story of reclamation, right? Because it's like no longer will this, control how I feel about no longer will how I feel about me be dictated by how I feel about them think of all those chemicals you engage in your body when you're like this bitch you know like we so strong it's so much it's it's such a strong influence you know and do you really want to spend your days giving your power away to people who are not even present in your life Mm. I don't no my god no I remember you know I get that question too all the time and I always think like, if you want to get over someone, I love that you said that might not be the target. I do think like, what would that even mean for you? Does it mean that you no longer have emotion for them? Because ultimately I've loved for everybody I've shared love with and that emotion isn't going anywhere. And I think in a lot of ways, as soon as I started to look at the gifts they brought me and where was my role in the relationship and how could I become a better man through the experience Then I started to thank them, you know, but I could tell you back in the day, the betrayals were deep and I did not thank them. I shut down my heart for years. But but do you know why? If you listen to what you're saying, what you're saying is that you went through a process. What process? Well, it's the process of grieving. Yeah. And what you're saying you're doing at the end is acceptance. Right. Right. And so when you reach acceptance, that's when you can heal fully. Or mostly, I should say, maybe not fully, but that's when you can heal mostly when you reach acceptance. Like, wow, this relationship is over. You're not bargaining anymore. You're not trying to get them back. You're completely accepting it. And when you reach the point of acceptance, that is then when you can access how you're telling this story. That's when you can say, I wish them well and mean it genuinely. And that's when you are free because you're control, not controlling. You're aware of how you're telling the story. When we when we talk about self-love, a lot of it is storytelling. What is the story we are telling ourselves? What language are we using about ourselves? Man, fuck my ex. She did. Why am I using that much energy? Right. Why am I reserving that? Why, if I bring up my ex, why am I being triggered so much? Well, it's because I haven't done my grieving process. And so when I say in the book, like we need to authentically process, that means instead of me saying, oh, I just need to be over her. Oh, I might need to bargain. I might need to try to get her back. Maybe I don't need to try to get over her. Maybe I do need to try to get her back. Okay, well, I tried. That didn't work. Okay, I need someone to witness my sorrow. I need someone to witness my pain. A therapist, best friend, men's group, women's group. Uh, I play in a basketball league. We Typically, we don't talk about our pain in our weekly basketball. Like basketball. I'm pretty mad at Pamela. But yeah, right. why not? Right. Why not? Because that's the authentic emotion that you're going with, that you're right. feeling right now. So why come into this community? Yeah, the meeting is set up around basketball, but I could take five minutes to say, guys, I just want you guys to know me and Pamela are going through it right now. Well, what is that doing? That's allowing me to be authentic. 
Because what does shame do? Shame makes you hide. So now I go to my basketball game. I don't tell them I, that me and Pam have beef. I fake my emotions. Yeah, I'm good. Everything's good. Yeah, how the kids? Oh, yeah, great. Now for that two hours, I'm completely fake. Well, what happens when you're fake to yourself? What happens to when you lie to yourself? How does your body feel? Because your body knows. Your heart knows. Your brain knows. And do you really want to build the habit of lying to yourself? Well, I don't think you do because that's not self-love. That keeps you stuck in these stories. What happens if that group can't hold it? Because I think that's a common experience, right? Good like, question. I think for a lot of, you know, you might show up to your sports team practice and right. all of a sudden you're like, you want to break down and people don't know how to hold. You know, I think so much of us, we try to stop people from feeling things we don't know how to feel because it makes us uncomfortable. You know, I certainly know the gift of grief. So if someone's right. sad, I'm like, you're in the gateway. Like, Grief to me is one of the most potent vehicles of transformation. That's really? why I don't try to save people from it, but I used to because yeah. I didn't know it was so potent. It helps. So what do yeah. you, the question is, what do you do when you, you don't have that community? You fight like hell to find it. You don't give up. If your parents can't hold that space, it's okay. Your cousins can't do it. That's okay. I've been in that in that situation when I was a teenager and I was going through the most trauma that I experienced in my life story was when... Um, Basically, from the age of about mm, probably 10 to 16, I would say, was like the strongest six-year period that I had. And I didn't feel like my family could handle the things that I was handling because partly because when we come around there, everything was fake. Mm. It was the, hey, how everything's going? And, oh, yeah, it's good. You know, the kids are getting, you know, it was all yeah. surface level. So when I was around my, my people, I couldn't talk to them. I couldn't be my most authentic self, which to me is self-love when you are always um, accessing your wholeness. But I had a, a principal named Mrs. Smith. She was like a motherly figure in my life. She was very um, she was one of those women who was soft and like, come here, let me hug you. Let me console you. Let me comfort you. But then she also was like, let's go. Like, you need to do better. You know, she was able to hold both both of those spaces. And so. If you don't have the community present in you right now, you create it. You know, one of the ways Francis Weller says this, we all at some point need to be a place of welcome. Mm, that's one of my favorite lines of his. Yeah, I love that. So yeah. some some of us need to search for the community. and Some of us need to create it. Need to become it. Yeah. Yeah, that I remember that line because it's Sylvester and I, we're part of a men's group that we listen to. Francis Weller's Alchemy of Initiation series. and I love it. Oh, oh it's so good. It's yeah. so potent. He's been a guest on the podcast. I know he's been on your, on yours too. Right? He has not oh, he been on yet. the podcast, but that's going to happen. I know you're going to get him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I remember that line where he said, we spend most of our lives looking for a place of belonging, and at some point, we, you know, we need to become a place of welcome. And I, yeah. I remember that line so well because... I felt it's so, re I think it's resonant to everyone's human experience. It's like we're in that child energy that's looking for love, that's looking for affirmation, that's looking for connection, that's looking for mom and dad to say we're enough, teachers, whatever, our partner. And the moment when we stop searching for it, and as your invitation is in the book too, to give it to ourselves, we then cultivate this foundation which has begins to decimate shame. Right, and right. And, and I think it's that practice, you know, speaking to that sort of belonging and exile sort of language, it's like so many of us, shame makes us exile the parts of us that we're ashamed about. And when we begin to welcome those parts back, we now are safe to be a place of welcome to someone else. Otherwise, you know, we're still in the search. We're still in the search for those parts of ourselves that we've hidden and put away in little boxes. And then we're like, oh, I'll find it in drugs. I'll find it in love. I'll try yeah. to just tell me I'm enough. Right, there. right. Yeah. Right. And it's like, you are, case closed, now act like it. You know, which is a, I mean, it sounds so much simpler than it is. <laughs> so process. Please. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and so many of us, we need to, I think all of us need to turn to our, inherited experiences with compassion to say as i said earlier it's like how could you not like if you're the first person in your lineage to lay a boundary and you're like i'm scared you have fucking rights you're scared you never seen a boundary in your life now you're about to put one out there and see if your whole world falls apart i think what's funny about it's not funny but what's interesting about that mm -hmm. is you like lay it and you're kind of like oh how are they going to feel about me saying no to going out tonight and everyone's like, cool, have a good night. And you're like, what the fuck? Mm 
like weight. And you start to feel this sense of wholeness because boundaries really just preserve your wholeness. It's such a fascinating transformation. It makes me think the story that you just gave, the the character that you just described, like that person, I feel like they need to embrace anarchy, you know, because they've been trying to keep the peace so long. But the consequence of them trying to keep the peace is they have a war inside of them. Right. So then embrace anarchy. Yeah. Embrace the anarchy. So it's like, hey, if you're having anxiety because you're like, wow, I'm going to set this boundary and the person's going to be like, no, what do you mean? You don't want to go out. What if you just said instead of being scared of that moment, what if it was just like, hey, let's embrace the anarchy. Yeah. I'm not going out tonight. How do you even feel about that? You're not going out. Yeah, I'm not going out. That's right. I said it. You know, it's like you, if you what if you just embrace that, that energy, character? Right? Yeah. What if you embrace that character? Because wholeness is tapping into your light and your dark. Right. You're so, a warrior. Right. Yeah, so tap into the other side. See what happens. Yeah. I like that. Accessing that. There's a movie called Joy with Jennifer Lawrence. And it's like the epitome of codependency. Wait, who is Jennifer Lawrence? She was in um, that one that kind of feels like the world today where it's is like she, Hunger Games. Hunger Games? Oh, <laughs> yeah, I see what yeah, you did there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kind of feels like okay. the world today. Um, did you did you ever see her in Mother? No, nah, it was good. Oh, my God. I will never watch that movie again. It was so good. It was that good? Like, it, is it a horror film? You like horror films. So I love, We're not on I the same horror. page for that one. I, I love horror. But it's like, it's like, it's like supernatural... It's great storytelling, great acting. Like, I'm not even gonna lie to you, bro. She, she made me tear up. It's that good. Yeah, right? and I don't, I don't tear up. I'm not a tearer. She made me tear up because you her, are now. Yeah, I'm, I'm crying for you. No. So can't see. <laughs> no, you have to watch Mother. It was great. I only watched it one time. I'll never watch it again. It was that good. Wow, you don't want to like soil it. I can't. You can't spoil. I'm a Man. storyteller and an artist. I can't spoil other people's stories. Well, this other one, Joy, is fantastic because it's mm-hmm. like she's in this codependent dynamic with pretty much everyone in her life, and it's based on a true story about. Uh, I don't want to give it away, but it's based on a true story, and she lays a fucking fire down. Like, Mm -hmm. her reclamation from codependency to independency, and I think we often do that, right? We go from, like, codependent to totally so much solitude that we're not connected to people anymore. We're we're isolated, and then we think that's health, and then (laughs) then we realize we're not connected to anyone, and then we don't know how to be connected to people and keep ourselves. That's sort of the ultimate conundrum. But she walks through that so well that I'm Mm -hmm. like, anyone who feels like they overgive over anything, I'm like, watch Joy. Because it'll light up the anarchist in you. Because I like that idea. It's like, I've thought about that, you know, more so recently, too. It's like, burn it all to the fucking ground. Like, if it is not on my fucking, if I'm not participating in the negotiation of the agreements of any relationship, I don't want to be in it. Like, if there's a have to energy. (laughs) That obligation. Fuck that. Obligations change relationships. They do. And, you know, often you hear back to that, like, well, that sounds selfish. And it's like, well, sometimes you actually have to go to the selfish side to even know that you have a self, you know, like, and we, again, as you said, every path is shame. So it's like, hey, I can't go tonight. It's selfish. Don't you just want to spend more time? With you? you never spend enough time with me. And it's like, geez, now I'm going to collapse and go and do the shit I don't want to do. And so there is that part where you do have to be selfish for a bit to recognize that you even have a self. It's like a playbook. You know, if you're going into a game, you know, I'm a former football player here, you have two to 300 plays available to you. Right. You're not going to call all of them because everything depends on the situation, the down and distance, the time. Did someone get hurt? Uh, the wind? The, what's the weather? All these factors go into it. And so what a lot of people do is they call the exact plays over and over and over and over. And there is no evolution. And so what I'm hoping for this podcast for loving yourself properly is that it can just add more, more plays to our playbook so we can choose different, you know, like that character who's dealing with, um, you know, the codependency of, well, I don't want to go out. Well, how many times, you know, my thing is I want you to just be authentic. That's what I want. I want you to touch your most authentic voice and to know what that feels like, because wholeness also means there is times in relation situations where. You do have to do the thing you don't want right. to do with right. your kid, with your partner, you know, with your mom. It, it, the list goes on and on. And it's OK. But I want there to be balance there. Right. I want That's, that's what I want. Point. I want there to be balance. Like there should still be choose to. Yes. Not everything in your life is have to. And if everything in your life is have to, then you have no balance. Right. 
Right. right. You are under the obligations that you have created. You know, and I think that's what's fascinating is like any relationship we are in, we are choosing to be in. Right. Any experience we are in, we are choosing to be in. And I want to be mindful, of course, people are like, yeah, but there's abuse and there's situations like that. I totally have compassion for that. And on some level, we're we're still choosing to be in that dynamic. And that's not to victim blame or anything. It's just like we are part of that pattern. And it's like, how do we free ourselves? You know, in in the healing of trauma, one of the first parts is the recognition that you have choice, that there is a choice that exists between reactivity and response. And one way that they speak to healing that is to keep small promises to yourself. So like you make a promise that you'll make a bed every day. Not like I'm going to lay boundaries with mom. Don't start with that shit. Mom's the hardest to lay boundaries with. <laughs> right. You don't start with the hardest. <laughs> That's hard- not the right target. Right. This is what we talked about. Woo. That is not the right target. Don't start there. <laughs> no, but making your bed is an easy mm-hmm. one, right? And mm-hmm. then what you do is you start to prove to yourself that you can show up. And, you know, that's part of that transformation. So you talk about forgiveness in the book. You talk about um, managing that, that inner voice. What else, what else can people look forward to and – Habits. You've actually talked about it a few times is habits because self-love also is habits. So there's this this myth, uh, which this was one of the like secrets of the book. So I didn't really want to say it. But since we're here, you know, on the Create the Love podcast, you got to reveal a secret. Right. That's right. So there's this myth uh, that habits get formed in 21 days. This is what a lot of people believe. Oh, yeah. It takes 21 days to form a habit. That's not actually true. I I had to do the research because I was really curious. There's a whole chapter on habits. I think it's actually called uh, "Choose Your Habits Wisely" in the in the book. Mm. And so, a habit. So the way that got got um, got established was it was back in the '60s. There was a professor who was doing habit research, and he noted that some of his patients could form habits in 21 days. But when you actually look at the research that he did, um, it was anywhere from about 21 days to 265 days. Oh, shit. Right. That's a big range. Right. And what they said is Not that, as great of a title. Form a habit in 265 <laughs> right, days. Right, exactly, exactly. You're like, shit, I quit. Like, I quit. that's a long yeah. time. I don't have that much time. <laughs> and so that's, but see, having that information, because we talk about information, having that information gives us access to more compassion. Hmm. Because if me and you start the same task right right tomorrow, let's just say distance running, something that I don't typically do. Do you distance run? I can. You know, I dabble. Okay. So the habit for you probably would be easier since your mindset on it is I dabble. If my mindset is I don't. <laughs> like, hell no. <laughs> I don't. Right. So we may get to 30 days. You might be running faster than me. You know, and I know we're talking about physiological. We're talking about body here. But that's what we need to understand right. when we're forming habits. We all are at different points. Yeah. Right. So I can't look at you and say, oh, man, he can run that mile, 10 minutes, less than 30 days. I'm running 13 minutes. No. Right. We, that's not how we should look at the information. Um, so when it comes to habits, one of the things that I really liked, and I had to use this work on myself, because my problem, and I've admitted this uh, throughout my entire career, <laughs> my number one nemesis is chocolate chip cookies. Dude, you brought some to me. I know. I know. I'm the cookie monster. Dude, man. I love a cookie. That's like my gift, you know, that I love giving people. It's like a really good chocolate chip cookie, you know? Yeah, I feel like you gifted them to both of us. Yeah. That was, that was smart. Well, that's how you give gifts. You give gifts <laughs> that you can also benefit from, too, you know? Dude, Everybody wins. They were good. I'll get you something tonight. Dude, I am a cookie guy, too. Are you? Like, okay. oh, man, a good chocolate chip cookie? <laughs> like that. I think that's the best kind of cookie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't. Like those ones where people have the oatmeal or a walnut in their you cookie. You like oatmeal cookies? With chocolate. I need chocolate. But just on their own? I need chocolate. I'm not like, eating cereal. You know what cookie I will never eat is sugar cookies. That like doesn't even sound. Yeah. Like I know the that Christmas sugar. ones? Hey, I know sugar is in cookies. I get that. But if you're like, here, here's a sugar cookie. I'm like, eh. You're like, here's the diabetes. Yeah, that's, that's, like, it doesn't sound good. It it's doesn't like sound good. It's like 265 days to form a habit. You know, it's like, <laughs> that doesn't sound that good. Yeah. So <clears throat> you have... um. You have the habit, you have the cue, you have the reward. So that's how habits are built. Um, built. And so when we're talking about self-love, for me, my habit that I had to break, that the book helped me break, was eating too many cookies. Mm. Right? Going past my boundary. Yeah, I'm like that with gummy bears. Gummy bears. Oh, fuck, man. That's if I thing? could mainline a gummy bear, seriously, 
They're so good. I love gummy candies. Gummies. Okay. I think it's because of the high fructose corn syrup. Ha, have that's you had basically the addictive. sour gummy bears or sour gummy worms? Love all of them. Yeah, okay. Dude, I have candy. The only ones I don't like is black licorice. That's it. Do you like uh, red licorice? Oh, yeah. Uh, Whole Foods has a really good like organic licorice. I can't think of the brand right now off the top of my head. I know. And I've had it. You know what I'm talking Delicious. about? Delicious. Yeah, it's like $7, so I don't get yeah, it often. But. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not that in love with licorice. <laughs> <laughs> so what so I had cookies, to do, yeah, yeah I had the cookies. This? And so what I had to do, you know, habit, cue, reward. So what's the reward? Well, you feel good when it comes to cookie. You know, the dopamine, the sugar hits you, you feel good, you get a rush. What was the habit? After about 8.30, you know, just walk into the kitchen, open the cabinet, see what's going on. I already know where the cookies <laughs> are because I'm opening the cookie cabinet. Uh, just take it out. So I built, I built up this habit. Right. What was the cue? Well, the cue was the time of day. I pr- pretty much would always have cookies after dinner. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having cookies at all. My problem is I was overdoing it. Yeah. Right. And so all I wanted, I did not want to eliminate cookies. <laughs> That's not what I wanted. I just wanted more <laughs> control. Yeah. I wanted less sugar coming into my body. So the very first thing I did was I started researching how I could consume less sugar. Throughout mm-hmm. my entire day. One of the other things I had to do was switch to uh, no sugar cookies, which I didn't really want to, but I wanted to change the habit. Like sweetened with maple syrup or honey. And yeah, stuff. honey, or, or even not Dates, sweet, you know? Yeah. So it Not worked. sweet sounds horrible, but yeah. yeah it is, you need a yeah. little something. It, it worked at first making those, those few changes, but then my habit was still there. I still was just going, going, going. So then I said, okay, I need some type of boundary here with this. So instead of buying them every day, buy them two or three times a week. And then when you don't have it one day, you don't have so it. So you didn't go from all to nothing. You made it manageable. Gradual. And gradual. Yeah. Right. That makes sense. Because that was the right target. Yeah. If you have the right target, you can typically execute the thing you're imagining. Right. You know? And you're still being rewarded. Yeah. You're still in, you're not restricting yourself to zero. Right. Yeah. Like, matter of fact, me and you hung out. We're recording this on uh, Tuesday. We hung out this weekend. The last cookie that we had... Uh, which was what Saturday is the last time I had a cookie. So it's been about four days. Right. A year ago, my this was my habit every single day. Now, one of the underlying reasons for this is because of the emotional landscape that I was in. I was dealing with a, a deep compression of my lifestyle. And so I was also seeking the cookie as a way to comfort what was going on. Oh, man, so, I get it. So is yeah. that self-love? Well, I mean, it feels like self-love when you eat that cookie, but it's really not. Why? Because this is a habit that makes me feel bad. Like it's escaping from how you actually feel, but it's also making, it's compounding. Correct. Yeah, which I guess is how any negative addiction, I mean, positive addiction, I don't know what a positive addiction would be, broccoli. Who's addicted to broccoli? <laughs> Brussels sprouts, my brother. Oh, they're so fucking Brussels gross. Sprouts. I hate Brussels sprouts. <laughs> but the, the interesting thing about that is like, uh, Gabor Mate has this great line where he says- I love him. You gosh, guys put me on him. He's yeah. so good. When he said- um, we ask the question, why the addiction, when we should be asking why the pain. Mm. And I think about that, I, I use that line a lot because I think it's so topical to like, oh, right? Like yeah. what leads to the eating? For me, as a kid, I soothed the motion through sweets. I'd mm-hmm. go to Seven Eleven, buy myself some candies, and I, I felt the pain of not fitting in. And then it was redundant. You know, it was like, right. then I ate too much candy and then I got chubbier. And then I faced rejection from right. societal judgment of my body et cetera, et cetera. And it took me entering the grief of not belonging, the grief of being judged for what I looked like, things like that, to to really be able to not have to soothe anymore. But it's interesting because like even as an adult, knowing all that I know about fitness and, mm-hmm. and health and, and food and having worked in those industries for so many years, it's interesting that I still... Like now I I seek nutrient-dense experiences and I still allow myself, you know those smart sweets? Have you had those? Mm -mm, mm -mm. They're like basically more fiber, so they only have three grams. Oh, we need fiber, yeah. Dude, they only have three grams of sugar and their slogan, brilliant, keep keep candy, kick sugar. Mm. Which is how Kick sugar, keep candy. Yeah, and it's, I mean, the chick who created it, I don't know her name, but she sold the company for like a couple hundred million in her 20s. Brilliant. 
I might be off on that, but it was a lot of millions. It was more millions than <laughs> than I've ever. One thing got. I want to bring up too with that is there was two attempts to break this habit. The chocolate chip. Habit. Yes, and the very first attempt sounded a lot like this: "Come on, man, stop doing this. What the fuck is wrong with you? Why are you eating all these cookies? You got to do better than this. This is pathetic." Mm, the voice. So, listen to that voice. Listen to the energy of that voice. And if you're using that voice, my question is, does it work? Do you achieve the thing with that voice? Because I didn't achieve anything. When I was using that voice, the habit got worse. Just perpetuates the need yes. for the, yeah, makes sense. So then when I change the voice to the nurturing voice, with the apology first, it's okay that you ate an entire box of cookies last Friday, Sylvester. <laughs> but you won't do that this week. Mm. Apology plus the boundary plus the intention. It's okay. Like gentleness. Thank you for the apology. You're right. I will not eat an entire box of cookies in one day. I'll be more gentle. Then when I went to that language, it got a lot easier. It's interesting how it all adds upon one another. Like the embracing of different language creates less shame, which then creates less need to soothe the space. And then we learn to stay in this space of compassion and then we don't need Yep. addictions you know and yeah that that to me might be the most important work like for me the ability to continue because i kind of found i was playing whack-a-mole with my addictions mm. it was like <clears throat> alcohol then caffeine then candy and right. now that i'm like living in this space where i don't have a dysfunctional relationship with any of those things i actually can't go back like it's this right. weird right yeah, like I miss having scotch with friends. You know, I miss that sort of shared experience. Yeah. Um, but it's not the scotch, which is really interesting. It's the shared experience. And I could pour anything with some rocks. And, right. you know, don't get me wrong. There's like something about the little buzz and the... But I actually, the cost of doing that is is so much greater to me than being fully present in my body and myself. And I was talking to Terry Cole recently and, you know, she, her and I were talking about addiction. She has lots of experience in that, lots of wisdom in that space. And she's been on the podcast a ton talking about boundaries and codependency. She's brilliant. And she said to me, the more they drink, the more I disappear. Mm. And I thought, like, I, it made me emotional. And, it, and really, that's the time to leave the party, you know, the time to leave the relationship with someone that... The more they drink, the more I disappear. And I thought it was interesting because in the conversation we were talking about how like there's a it's, there's nothing wrong if that's someone's choice to go to that space or to get drunk or to do whatever. There is no judgment. I don't care what people choose. I think when it causes harm for self and to others, there's a lot of things to look at. But what was interesting about that is like this idea of like here I am fully present and fully in my life energy with you. And here you are at this point, not. Mm. And so like, I'm going to exit stage left and you keep doing you and I'll keep doing me, but I respect myself too much to stay. And I, I, I say all that, well, one, I loved what she said. And two, I think that's true of our own habits to ourselves. Like that we almost like want to walk ourselves out and be like, hey, like there's so much more richness and, and this invitation to adjusting our voice, forgiving ourselves entering a more compassionate space the most important fucking work you know and if a friend or a partner or a family member says hey when you do this i disappear or you don't consider me my god what powerful feedback that is that, that information is life-changing if you allow it to be you yeah. know one of the things that you made me think about too is when you're in that situation I've been I've been sober since uh, March 20, 29th this year, and well done. Appreciate you, appreciate you. The sobriety journey for me is, you know, I went to F forty five this morning. One of the, the trainers named Evelyn, she came up to me. She's like, "Hey, I just found out you were sober. I just wanted to say that's awesome." You know, and she just was cheering it on. And so it started when I was drinking some wine. I love wine, or owe me love wine. And love me some wine. Yeah, I mean, I haven't had it, so I don't know if I still love it. But I know the old, there was an old version of me who loved it. And I'm drinking wine, 
And my son, you know, he observes everything like kids do. And he looks at the wine and he looks at me and he's just like, you know, what are you doing? He's not judging. He's not critical. He's curious. He's like, what are you doing? And I have opted to be very open with him. And And he's like two at this time, right? Yeah, he's younger than two at this point. He's like one and a half. And so I'm explaining to him because he's looking at it. So I'm like, oh, yeah, this is this is wine. This is grapes with sugar, fermentation. Like I'm a nerd. So I'm like literally explaining the process to him. I know he doesn't understand it. But that was what I wanted when I was a kid. I wanted things to be explained to me. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'll be that type of dad. And as I'm explaining this to him, we <laughs> had this role play where it didn't happen, but it happened in my head where he said to me, Dad, why are you drinking the wine? Like, what's the purpose of the wine? And so when my son faked asked me that question, <laughs> fake as I'm son, holding the wine play, and yeah. I'm holding him, I did not have an answer for why I'm drinking it. That's interesting. Were you thinking... What is my son thinking in this moment? As yes. Like, why am I drinking wine instead of water or juice or whatever, yes. or whatever it may be? And it wasn't judgmental. It wasn't critical. Right. I just thought that he was being critical, uh, excuse me, curious. And I was like, yeah, I don't actually don't know why. That's interesting. So my, my journey was at first it was like, can I find a why? Can I find a reason? So then when I started searching for a reason, I recognized that I didn't have one. So I was drinking on autopilot. I was mm. drinking because other people drink. I was drinking because it was a habit that I never investigated. Interesting. And you know, like habits that, because I think there's, you're speaking to habits and there's habits that are destructive. And I know there was a differentiation I once heard that there are habits that are pro-death and habits that are pro-life. Mm. And I thought, ooh, that's like, you could pretty much, that's binary, right? Like you could put, every habit into that one or a zero you like could. life or death. Yeah. And I thought that was really fascinating because then it's like, woo, the weight of that fucking choice now. Is <laughs> right. Like, yo, what are you doing over there? Death. Doing some death <laughs> over here. <laughs> yeah. Just drinking some death. Right. It's not a big deal. You come into the party. No, nah, they're doing death over there. I'm right. not going. <laughs> <laughs> well, and like, again, I, for the people who can do these things in moderation, mm-hmm. much respect. This isn't about that. What I found fascinating when I entered into the world of sobriety was that like some people that I know would say to me, that's really interesting that you're doing that. It's made me think about my relationship Mm -hmm. to alcohol. Mm -hmm. And I remember saying to someone I know, I was like, well, investigate that. Like no judgment. If you feel that, like if that is bringing something up for you, then follow it. Mm -hmm. And, And their reply was, no, it's not like I have an issue or anything. And I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> like, Okay, you're not ready. And when you're ready, right. you'll be ready. But I know for me, the reason I know that, that that question or that statement that was made to me is actually an intuitive following mm-hmm. is because I avoided that exact thing too. I made statements like that. Mm-hmm. I felt the call of like my soul. I don't even know what it was, but it was like constantly this like, hey, hey, have you thought about your relationship to alcohol? Hey, have you thought about your relationship to alcohol? And I think about the habits that have to go in to replace a habit like that. Yeah. They have to be things like mindfulness, meditation, like they're they're expansive. Connor actually, I remember him saying this, Connor Beaton, him saying that like at some point your habits go from coping mechanisms to expansive mechanisms. And I was like, "Ooh, that's good." That's what. That's why I got to give you a shout out, Connor. That was a good. I one. like that. Right. I like that. Yeah. And I think you know, in your book, you're inviting us to build those in to our lives. Correct. Because what I want, <clears throat> excuse me, what I want for people is what I feel like I live on a day to day basis. I don't have a perfect life. I, that doesn't exist, and I don't live in a world where I'm looking for perfect. But I have a life that I'm proud of. And when I look at all the different pillars of life, for me, I'm a parent. You know, for me, I'm. An American, whatever. We fill in whatever labels we want. But when I look at each thing that matters to me, I'm okay with them. And I don't say okay as like, I don't want to grow, I don't want to grind, or I don't want to pursue excellence. I do. I want all those things. But I'm also happy where they are. Like, I'm holding space for for both. And the parts of my life where there was trauma, where there was pain, uh, weakness, where there was isolation, uh, anxiety, all of those things, I feel like I've completely acknowledged those pieces. Mm. Didn't bypass them, didn't skip them. I've acknowledged them and I've integrated them. And that wholeness that I experience, although again, I don't have a perfect life, but I have a life that I'm damn proud of. And I just want to invite the reader to that, especially if 
they're like, uh, well, I don't like this or, you know, you know, like, right. and I'm like, well, let's see why. Right. Maybe it's not that bad. Maybe there's more good than bad. Let's be curious. Yeah, let's just be curious. The invitation to curiosity. What would you say is your like departing, what would be your departing message to the folks listening? An invitation. Yeah, it's just a really light invitation. It's like you are already your highest self right now. You are already your highest self right now. And a lot of the times we talk about doing the work and we make it seem heavy, elongated, hard. And while those may be true, it also may be light, fun, Mm. engaging, happy, um, ecstatic, joyful, you know. And so you're already your highest self right now, literally right now. And if if, if you can just accept, I I think I say this on the second page, self-love is full acceptance of who you are right now. Hmm. Right now in this moment. So maybe tomorrow when you wake up, you could just go look in the mirror and say a few affirmations to yourself like, I love myself. I accept myself. I'm proud of what you've overcome. Something simple and light. And start there. Yeah, just start there. And continue to Sylvester McNutt's book purchase page and get Loving Yourself Properly. I'm curious, uh, where can people find you? So I have a very unique name, Sylvester McNutt III. So whatever you like, if you like podcasts like this, I have the Free Your Energy podcast. Um, if you do want to support the work and dive in, Amazon is the best place for that because if, especially if you have Prime, you get that thing like the next day. <laughs> um, we have a paperback. We have a hardcover. We have the ebook, and I read the audiobook, which was so fun. Oh, I that's was, awesome. Yeah, I was actually gonna gonna hire uh, the same voice actor who did my care package book, but I was looking, I was uh, online looking at all comments of like a lot of the popular books, and one comment that I saw come up a lot was, "I'm so glad that this author read the book." Yeah, and then you would see the opposite too. Is like, I wish they would have read the book. So I feel like the reader listener has a better experience when the author him or herself reads the book Amen. so i was like yeah i gotta i gotta do this i'm not a professional voice actor but this is my work so i want to put my heart into it so it was really cool because there's times where you're reading the book and you get passionate this is why i'm excited for you to do a book because i want to hear your audio book you know you get passionate <laughs> and you're like all right i'm about to get into it and so you you can feel yourself kind of getting character and you're like look love yourself properly you know yeah, whatever the yeah, thing yeah. is you know and so th- it was fun man and it took like it probably took like two weeks and it was super cool because I got COVID in the middle of reading the book. So then I had to pause. I could barely breathe because I, I had the breathing issue with when I had COVID. And it was just like, wow, like this is this is the final step of the book is reading the book. And now it's delayed because I have COVID. And so then I had to practice all the things I was talking about. <laughs> have a nurturing inner voice. It's okay. Apologize. Forgive yourself, you know, and just be patient. So it was co- it was cool, man. It was just a beautiful journey. I had a lot of fun writing this book. It sounds like it, and it sounds like a gift to all of us to walk us through this very important journey. My brother, thanks for coming on the show again. I appreciate you. I love you. you. I love your voice. I love how much you share from your heart and the integrity to which you live with. So thank you. I receive that. Thank you so much. I receive that. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. If this episode resonated with you, one of the best ways to support the show is to go subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any more. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to it, or share the episode with your community on Instagram or whatever social place you like to hang out. This helps get it into more people's ears, and I'm so grateful for your support, always. Thanks again for tuning in. Much love.